Welcome to the School of Wellbeing podcast. I am your host, Meg Durham, wellbeing speaker, educator, and coach. Together, we're going to explore lessons to help us live well. Let the learning begin. Welcome to episode 57 of the School of Wellbeing podcast. Thank you for pressing play and taking the time to listen to this heartfelt conversation. Each conversation is designed to equip you with the skills to thrive despite the struggles of everyday life. When you hear the words friendship fires, what comes to mind? When you were younger, how were you taught to deal with friendship issues? Maybe you were told to just walk away, to not worry about it or to not make a fuss. One of the surprising things about school life is how much time and energy it takes to navigate the world of student friendships. I still remember the day early in my career when the final bell had gone and I was walking past the locker rooms. I witnessed two best friends verbally having a go at each other. They had absolutely flipped their lids and what was coming out of their mouth was so hurtful. After trying my best to calm the students down, we made a plan to meet before school the following day. That night, I proceeded to worry and think about all the possible ways that I could fix the situation. Then the next day, they didn't come to see me at my office, so I thought, oh no, this is bad. But walking past the locker rooms, I saw them laughing and acting like nothing had happened. Social dynamics in a school setting can be really tricky to navigate. Student to student, parent to teacher, parent to student, you get the drift. With so many humans in one space, we're bound to encounter our fair share of conflict. Today's guest, Dana Kerford, shares how to get along with others is a skill and it requires a shared language and practice. Dana is a teacher, friendship expert and founder of You Are Strong. After starting her career as a fourth grade teacher in Canada, Dana began to recognize the complexity and intensity of childhood friendships. Motivated to create cultures of kindness in schools, Dana launched the first of its kind curriculum, Friendology 101 in 2009. Since then, You Are Strong whole school friendship strategy has improved the social climate in schools globally, connecting over 1 million kids, parents and teachers with a common language of friendship. In this conversation, we discuss the importance of friendship skills, why be friends with everyone is bad advice, how to put a friendship fire out and so much more. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Dana Kerford. Dana, welcome to the School of Wellbeing podcast. Thank you for having me. Today, we're going to be talking about the program that you've developed, You Are Strong, that helps young people navigate the world of friendships. Can you tell us why it's so important to teach these skills? As a teacher from Canada, way back when I first started teaching, I had no idea that I was going to be spending so much time, all of my days, really dealing with friendship drama. And um, I didn't know that that was going to be a big part of teaching. And I was absolutely ill-prepared. I had no idea really how to support my students when they'd come in after recess and had an issue with a friend. I had no idea how to respond to parents when I'd get that email saying their child was being bullied when really it wasn't bullying, but I didn't know what to call it. So that really was the inspiration behind it all and why... I realized pretty early on in my teaching career that my students were lacking friendship skills and that I needed to actually teach that first so that we could then focus on learning. It's so true that in the classroom, we spend so much time 
navigating the human relationships and when there's a rupture, trying to work through a repair. And it makes sense that if we're taught these skills, we can start to navigate them much, much earlier. Totally. And I, you know what I realized too is that because we uh, aren't really taught about this in university and not really prepared for it, I discovered that all of us teachers were kind of handling it in a very different way. And all of us were kind of just relying on maybe the way that we were taught to handle conflict, you know, when we were a kid, including some really bad advice, like just punch them the next time or just get over it or just ignore them, go play with someone else. But I realized all of us teachers were kind of supporting the kids in a very different way. And we didn't have language. We didn't have words or tools or strategies to create kind of that common, consistent language of friendship to support our students. So that was, you know, me as a teacher back in Canada realizing like, wow, we need a whole school friendship strategy where we're all on the same page, supporting the kids in the same way and bringing the parents in on that conversation too, so that the parents are also kind of reinforcing the language and strategies that we're teaching in the classrooms. And it just makes sense to have this whole school approach to how we relate to others, how we establish relationships, maintain relationships, and also move away from relationships when they're not working for us. So how do we define friendship? What is a friendship? I love this question because really that word friend has taken on a lot of different meanings, especially now with social media. You know, a friend on Facebook actually means something very different than a friend you'd invite over for kids for a sleepover or something. So, you know, Jane Dutton's research around high quality connections, a friend is someone who we feel good around. The way we describe it is it is a relationship that we choose and it is a relationship that is built on trust and respect. We talk about, that's our friendship fact number three, actually, that trust and respect are the two most important qualities of a friendship. It is the foundation of a healthy, feel-good friendship. The other thing that we tell children, too, is that we might not be friends with everyone, right? Be friends with everyone is terrible advice. We actually don't click with everybody. Some people bring out the worst in us. The idea is that we surround ourselves with people we feel good around that are in the green zone on the friendometer, which I'm sure we'll talk about later. But we've got, uh, you know, that connection, that high quality connection with them. However, in schools, we do teach children that they need to be friendly to everyone, kind and friendly. And that's really the message. And also distinguishing between the relationship, that it's something that we choose. A friendship is something that we choose and something that we choose to invest in. And I'm curious to know, you've been in this space for a very long time and you've developed this program and it's had lots of different iterations. What have you noticed has changed in the way that young people relate to each other? Friendships have changed so much for kids. This is our 13th year since I developed the program. I've been teaching for two decades now. But when I think about that very first after-school club that I ran for my students of Friendology, uh, which is our curriculum, 
My students back then did not have cell phones, mobile phones. They did not have TikTok, Snapchat. There had not been, you know, a Black Lives Matter movement, global pandemic. I mean, friendship has changed so much for kids. Of course, the biggest one being the introduction of social media. And now seeing children younger and younger communicating with their friends online. So even young kids now having, you know, Kids Messenger, that platform, texting their friends and having phones where they are doing a lot of communicating with their friends outside of school. So that really is the biggest change that we've seen in friendship. However, there are a lot of things that have remained the same. And that's one of the most incredible things for me. I have worked with students, you know, from all walks of life, from the rich and famous in California, you know, to low-income families in different parts of the world. And what's amazing to me is that children really want the same things. All kids want to get along and belong. And their friendship buyers, as we call them, are the same kinds of things. You know, their friends snatch their toy without asking. Their friend didn't invite them into the ball game outside and they promised they would. Their friend didn't wait for them after lunch. Um, so this very similar friendship fires. So yes, while the culture around them has changed a lot and we are seeing those changes in their friendships, especially kids, you know, returning after this global pandemic, feeling definitely less confident. The feedback we're hearing from our UR Strong Schools is that the children are quick to escalate, so quick to anger at their friends, so needing to really learn those emotional regulation strategies that you know they kind of missed out on during that time being at home and in lockdown. But yeah, I do feel, and I know kids are so resilient, as we always say, and, and they will catch up, but we need to, as educators in schools, give them the skills, teach them explicitly. We can't just assume that a child is going to get friendship skills through osmosis and it will come naturally. And I always ask teachers, you know, raise your hand if you know an adult who lacks social skills. We can all think of someone, you know. Uh, uh, the idea though is that not everybody just figures it out. You know, school is where we need to teach friendship skills and friendship skills are relationship skills. This is going to help them in their life as they move into adolescence, romantic relationships, of course, you know, working with colleagues, marriages, and on and on. Relationships are everything. And having relationship skills is so vital because it not only helps the young people, it helps the teachers, it helps the parents, and there's not as much drama and not as much tension because there is a shared language where you can have the conversation about where are you on the Yometa when it comes to your friendship. So I'd love to know when it comes to a healthy friendship, what subtle and obvious signs are we looking out for? Well, when we talk to the children and we're teaching the friendometer and we talk about the green zone on the friendometer, we always start by getting them to think about healthy food. You know, how does healthy food make you feel? Why are your parents on your case, you know, to eat your vegetables? And I love hearing kids answers. They say things like, it makes us strong and helps us grow and gives us energy. Healthy friendships are the same. They make us strong. They help us grow. 
you know, they bring out the best in us. We feel good when we're around them. We click, you know, and that's another thing we sometimes talk about, just that natural click that we do have with some people. And there is science that backs that up, that, you know, we hear the term that you're on kind of the same wavelength as someone. And there have been studies that have proven that you literally are on the same wavelength. Your brain, brains are mapped, you know, very similarly with people that you do click with naturally. So yeah, in a healthy green zone friendship, you've got lots of trust and respect. You feel at ease, can be yourself. But most importantly, they they do bring out the best in you and you feel good around them. It's such an important point to notice how other people are impacting us. Are they bringing out the best in me or are they bringing out a side in me that I'm not really too proud of? And so when we look at the friendometer, what's it like when we're at the other end, when when a friendship is seeming to go in an unhealthy way? I think the first thing we need to remember is our friendship fact number one. No friendship or relationship is perfect. It is very normal for a friendship to dip into the red zone on the friendometer. We always tell kids that, you know, these friendship fires are going to happen and you can survive them. You can put them out and get that friendship back in the green zone, back feeling healthy again. But yes, when a friendship is in the red zone, it generally feels hard. It feels complicated. We're frustrated, especially if we've had a friendship fire. Maybe we're feeling helpless, like there's nothing we can do. Maybe we're angry with our friend. So a friendship can dip into the red zone because we've had a friendship fire. So there is a conflict that has happened that has moved it into the unhealthy zone on the friendometer. But sometimes a friendship can slowly drift into the red zone over time. And we talk to kids about friendship fact number four, which is friendships change and that's okay. And sometimes a friendship feeling bad or feeling unhealthy, you know, we feel like there must be a reason. And I I can think of examples even in my life where I've had a friendship that just didn't feel good, but I couldn't quite put my finger on it. I didn't really know why. One of the things we say to kids is a friendship not feeling good is reason enough. That is a reason. So helping children recognize that A, it's normal that our friendships don't feel amazing all the time. Sometimes they do dip into the red zone, but there's a lot of things we can do to get them back in the green zone. And I love this idea of friendship fires. I think that is such a beautiful term for us to use in our classrooms and also in our homes to identify that fires happen. It happens in relationships all the time and there are things that we can do to move beyond it, to put that friendship fire out. You know, that was one of the big things when I first developed this curriculum was needing a word to describe friendship issues because People call it all sorts of different things, Uh, misunderstanding, disagreement, fight with a friend, which can mean a lot of different things. So that's where I came up with this term friendship fires. And the most amazing thing is kids immediately get it. They know exactly what will make a friendship fire bigger versus what will make a friendship fire smaller. So it's a really great way to talk to children about their friendship issues 
one of the things we're really, really big on at You Are Strong is using kids' language for kids' problems. So yeah, that friendship fire analogy works beautiful. We even talk about when we are putting out our friendship fires, you know, what happens when other people are around? You know, so when we talk about putting out the fire and talking to our friend, why should we talk to them one-on-one? Why do we not want to talk to them when a big group is around? And the kids right away know, oh, well, other people, they'll get involved. They'll pick sides. They'll go tell everybody about it. Ah, yes. Will that make the friendship fire bigger or smaller? You know, and the kids right away know that other people getting involved turn that friendship fire into a a bushfire, forest fire. So yes. And we also talk to them about, you know, we don't want to wait till it's a giant fire before we talk to our friend and put out the fire. As soon as we feel that little flame, that little sizzle ignite, that's when we want to right away talk it out with our friend. And that is such an important skill for adults and children to learn when that spark happens to address it yeah. and not leave it until it is that raging bushfire that feels out of control and it's gone through the whole year level. Well, in, and in psychology, we know that when we ignore negative emotions, they amplify. This is something called amplification effect. And that's absolutely true in our relationships. When we ignore negative emotions in our relationships, it just gets bigger and all of, a stu- all of a sudden, the little things are driving you crazy. You know, they, it, this is where resentment comes from in relationships. So instead, we want children to, you know, when they feel that fire with their friend, don't wait. There, you have that conversation. Work your way. And what we call, we, we tell them to work the way around the friendo cycle. So the friendo cycle is our way of showing children how to get their friendship back into the green zone. So the most important step on the friendo cycle is the talk it out phase. And that's where they find time with their friend to talk, just the two of them. So they do wait for the right time. You know, they're not going to do it immediately when they're both upset. They wait till they've both calmed down, de-escalated, nobody else is around. Then they're going to retell the situation, explain how it made them feel. And the most amazing thing, Meg, is that kids are so good at this. They are incredible. We get them to practice and role play, and then they start applying it in their real life, you know, on the playground or on camp or wherever they are. When their friendship fires ignite, they are so good at putting them out. And this highlights just how capable our young people are when they do have the skills, when they've had the opportunity to practice them, because they are so good at just running with these skills. I've found over the years that it's our young people that are much quicker to apply this knowledge than us as adults. I absolutely agree. The the really interesting thing is that we've been raised to avoid conflict. And this comes up all the time in our teacher training. I often ask teachers to reflect on when they were children, you know, and what advice they were given when they had a challenge in their relationships, whether it was friendships or the consistent feedback is that we were told to just ignore it, get over it, play with someone else. We actually were raised to avoid conflict, many of us. And so then we became teachers and we're all in this environment full of conflict. And we're actually meant to be guiding and supporting the the children when we don't know how ourselves. 
So the brilliant thing about kids is that when you explicitly teach them, and I think that's the important thing to let your listeners know is that they, children need explicit instruction. I 100% am guilty of being the teacher back in the day who, when I had an issue in my classroom, I would find the cutest little storybook you could imagine, right? I'd find a storybook that talked about that issue, had a great moral of the story. You know, I'd bring my students to the carpet, read the story. We'd say, okay, what did we learn, you guys? What are we going to do differently? And then they'd go out at recess and keep doing the same thing. I realized pretty quickly that, wow, that's not good enough. We need to actually teach them these skills and they need to practice and they need to role play. And so that's why our friendology curriculum, we have tons and tons of scenarios where the kids practice it over and over. They get really good at it. So then when the real thing happens, it feels natural. And also there's that power in numbers. If everybody has the language, it just reduces that tension because people understand that, oh, okay, we're having that kind of conversation now, or that word means this, or this sign means this. And it just makes it easier because there is that shared language. Exactly. Well, everybody's working within the same framework. So that in and of itself just helps us all, you know, be a little more at ease. We, we kind of know how it's like having an operating manual that we're all, you know, working from that same manual, but you're exactly right. When all the kids have the language and the teachers, and they're all using that same strategy, the same strategies, we can better support one another. You know, our, you are strong schools. A lot of them have begun our peer mentorship model, which is, um, we call them friendo leaders where the older ones are the ones out at recess time supporting the younger ones in their friendships. And this is working brilliantly in our schools because children feel so much more comfortable going up, you know, a little kid going up to a year five or six and asking for some support in their friendship versus going to their teachers or their parents, which I will say oftentimes makes it worse. And that's the feedback we've received from children, um, over the last 13 years, you know, since I started this program, but kids have told us the number one reason they don't go to the grownups around them is because the grownups make it worse. They make the friendship buyer bigger. So peer mentorship, you know, our friendo leader program works brilliantly. The kids all have kind of that shared language to support one another. And that's really the essence of whole school strategies, isn't it? you know, that, and, and research shows whole school programs are the most effective, but that's why, because everybody's kind of working together, guiding and supporting one another in the same way. So when it comes to friendship issues, what are common scenarios that our young people find themselves in that create these friendship fires? Yeah. You know what? It's so funny because it it is often the same kinds of things you know, kids may be feeling excluded. And, and I will talk about that one just for a moment, because we have uh, a really important, powerful lesson plan that our teachers teach in the classroom, teaching children how to be an includer. A lot of times children perceive exclusion. You know, they perceive that their friend is excluding them when the reality is 
they've just walked up to a group of friends. That group of friends is in the midst of doing something and they don't know how to seamlessly fold or weave that person into their chat or their game. That is sophisticated friendship skills. And I know a lot of grownups who don't know how to do that. Um, so we teach them explicitly what you do when a friend walks up to you and you're in the middle of a conversation or you're in the middle of a game. How do you include them in that moment? Again, they role play and practice. We also teach them what to do if you walk up to a group or a, a friend and they don't include you. So what do you do? What do you say? We're all about empowering the kids with those skills. But yes, when it comes to friendship fires, it's generally just little things. Like I said, all kids want to get along. They want to belong. But naturally, you know, their friend promises to meet them at the basketball court and doesn't show up and they feel a friendship fire or their friend takes their ruler from their backpack without asking. And that was a really special ruler to them. And they're upset or they're doing a group project and their friend really isn't listening to their ideas. And it feels like they're, you know, it's all the other person's ideas and they don't feel heard. All of these little friendship fires happen in our classrooms, on our playgrounds, on our buses all the time. And so, yeah, when kids learn how to put them out, they, first of all, they, they know how to recognize them and then they know how to put those fires out when they ignite. And it's also giving them permission to feel that the way that they feel, if they feel excluded or they feel upset, it's understanding that that's healthy, that's normal. And what action can we take? So what are some actions that teachers and parents can take when the young people in their lives are experiencing a friendship fire? Yeah, well, I think the first thing is reminding your child or your student that it's normal. So normalizing conflict in friendship. Friendship fact number one, no friendship or relationship is perfect. I will say children don't naturally know that. And that is why little ones, when they first start big school, as we call it, they encounter conflict with their friend. What do we hear them say? You're not my friend anymore, right? Little kids, when they encounter conflict in a friendship, their gut instinct reaction is to end the friendship altogether. (laughs) That's so true. No, it's so funny. Or you're not invited to my birthday party. So the first thing we need to let kids know that it's, It's normal to have friendship fires. It's normal for a friendship to go into the red zone on the friendometer. The next thing we want to do is empower them to put out that fire. So we don't want to put out their fires for them. And this is a mistake I see happen all the time where parents are, you know, maybe trying to put out the fire for their child or forcing their child to apologize to another child when they're still really upset and in the heat of the moment. Um, Timing is important and it's about really empowering the child to do it. So we teach them, step one, find a good time to talk to your friend, just the two of you. Step two, retell the situation that sparked the fire. So you might say, Hey, remember when you took the ruler out of my bag without asking? Step three, explain how it made you feel using the statement, I felt. So this is an I statement. We want to make sure children are 
expressing themselves in this way, rather than saying like, you hurt my feelings. You made me mad. You need to apologize. We want to bring it back to them. So I felt really upset or I felt hurt or I felt sad. And then they listen. Step four, listen to your friend's side and hear their perspective. So the idea is that we talk it out until the fire is out. So that's another mistake, Meg, that kids sometimes make is that they will retell the situation, explain how it made them feel. Their friend will say, oh, well, sorry about that. And they say, that's okay. I forgive you when they don't, when the fire is not out. So we teach children that we talk it out until the fire is out. So if the fire is not out yet, when your friend says, sorry about that, then what we're going to say is, thank you very much for apologizing. But you know what? How about, how about next time when you say you're going to meet me at the basketball court and you don't show up? How about you let Oliver know and Oliver can come tell me and that way I'm not standing there by myself. Deal? Deal. So making a deal is one of our favorite ways for putting the fire all the way out. And kids really, really love that one. That one makes a lot of sense to them. They can make a deal for next time. And then they're moving on to forgive and forget and closer and stronger on the friendo cycle. And we're back in the green zone. How powerful is that? I'm just thinking as I'm hearing what you're saying, Dana, all of these steps are so powerful. And imagine if us as adults knew how to do that. I'm thinking so many adults don't know how to take those steps. Well, I will tell you, I use this stuff in my own life all the time. I think it's powerful that it's simple. We've made it really super simple for the kids. And as adults, our relationships sometimes get very complicated and very messy sometimes. And there's so much power in simplicity. So yeah, just thinking about it, it is just following these steps and kids don't come to school really with lots of, you know, years and years of baggage in their friendships and relationships. You know, these are often pretty fresh. They've maybe known the friend in some cases, they just met the friend this year, or they've only known their friend for a couple of years. So they can have really beautiful, deep, connected, flourishing friendships that, yeah, do have friendship fires now and again, but the kids put them out and then they realize that actually friendship buyers make our friendships closer and stronger. You know, we learn about our friend. We realize what really matters to them. Uh, you know, I might know that, wow, next time I'll, I'll make sure that I'm for sure at the basketball court. Or I'll, I'll ask my friend next time I borrow something because that, that really matters to them. So it deepens those connections, which ultimately, you know, will help children have lifelong friends, hopefully. And it will help them have a really solid base of support because the friendships that they have are really authentic because the friendships are based on what's true, what's meaningful, because they've had the ability to articulate their needs. And that's something that we don't often do in relationships. We don't articulate our needs. We just assume the other person should know. And when things Absolutely. happen, we don't say anything. The friendship fire happens we don't deal with it and we just pretend. And as you say, that amplifies the situation. So what a gift for young people to have yeah. the skills to be able to articulate the way that they're really feeling. Totally. And, you know, the, the other really big one is we, we talk to kids about friendship back number four, which is friendships change 
and that's okay. And that's a really powerful one, especially for our tweens, you know, who are entering, entering into adolescence. That is a time where they're really changing and evolving a lot. They're noticing that, you know what, they're just not clicking the same that they did with that bestie that they had in year two and three, and they're growing apart from certain friends. And what that does really reminding kids that friendships change and that's okay, gives them the permission really to understand and let go of those friendships that aren't feeling good anymore. Doesn't have to be a big drama. You know, it's not a big deal. Our friendships are always changing because we are always changing and that's okay. To normalize that idea that friendships are for a season, a reason, and some are for a lifetime. Not every friendship is for a lifetime. Not every relationship is for a lifetime. Exactly. It's so important to remind kids that some friendships have an expiration date. You know, that we have friends at different times in our life and they serve a purpose and they were an amazing friend for that moment. But not all friends, like you said, are meant to last a lifetime. And what happens is sometimes when we hold on to a friendship that we've had in the past, you know, and that that has changed and evolved, but we hold on so tightly to the way that it used to be, despite the fact that it's not feeling good anymore, that's when we get in trouble. You know, that's when that friendship becomes really unhealthy and sometimes can feel really toxic because we just simply didn't acknowledge and and accept that it was changing and that was okay. So really getting kids comfortable with that natural ebb and flow of friendship is so important. And getting teachers and parents comfortable with this ebb and flow of relationships. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it is important that that parents and teachers know that yeah, their child is probably not going to be best friends with that one other child forever and ever. With the little ones, we actually do talk to them about BFF, that term best friend forever. We, We don't use that term in our curriculum. We get them to kind of think about it as BFFN, best friend for now. This idea that, you know, not all friendships will last forever and and that's totally okay. And it's empowering because it gives them permission to grow and learn and evolve in their friendships. And I think that's something that we didn't have when we were younger, the permission to change relationships and move on. And I love Renee Brown's distinction between belonging versus fitting in. I think for a long time in schools, it's been about fitting in. Young people just need to fit in and just get along with each other. Where now we're moving towards a real belonging sense where they feel like they belong. They can be themselves. They can foster relationships in a way that is meaningful for them. Absolutely. Actually, in our in our friendship journals for schools for year five and six, we do a lot of uh, activities in there on fitting in and belonging. And so you can imagine on our friendometer in the green zone is belonging and the red zone is fitting in. When we talk to kids about fitting in and how that feels, there's this, they often use the word trying, you know, trying to fit in. There's an effort versus when you belong, it feels natural. It feels organic. You feel at home. So helping kids recognize that, you know, you, you are not going to click with everyone and that's okay. You're not meant to. 
research shows that we, when it comes to friendship, quality over quantity every time. It is so much more important. And for a child to have even just one green zone friend where they feel that sense of belonging, they have that trust and respect, they feel good around. One green zone friend is all they need. It is a top protective factor against mental health issues like anxiety and depression, but also protects them against mean on purpose behavior, which is something you know we do talk to the kids about when they're in year three and older. So what is mean on purpose behavior? So mean on purpose is different than a friendship fire. Mean on purpose is intentionally rude, cruel, unkind, malicious behavior that is designed to hurt. For example, a child looking at another child and saying, nobody likes you. That is a statement that is mean on purpose. It is designed to hurt the other person. So very different than a friendship fire where, you know, your friend kind of hurts your feelings or there's a misunderstanding or a disagreement. If I looked at you and said, you're a loser or called you a name, that's mean on purpose. That's very different. So we teach the kids to respond with what we call a quick comeback. So psychologists would call this a preloaded statement, but we call it a quick comeback because like I said, we're all about kids' language for kids' problems. So that quick comeback is just that statement that lets the person know we heard or saw what they said or did that was mean on purpose and we're not okay with it. So that it's, it is a very different process. And again, they practice. They practice with lots of scenarios and role play so that they're very good at it. And they're very good at knowing the difference between a friendship fire and mean on purpose. And that helps them move away from everything feels like bullying. Everything, everyone's out to get me. It actually helps them distinguish the difference between a misunderstanding, the fire, versus that was just mean. Exactly. Well, and, and that is something that we're very passionate about at You Are Strong is that we don't use the word bullying in our curriculum. That word is misused all the time. It's misunderstood by children and grownups. But the big one, Meg, is that it causes people to label a child a bully. And that, in my opinion, is name calling. So the term mean on purpose helps children just focus on the behavior. So we focus on the behavior of the other child. If it was mean on purpose, we respond with a quick comeback. We immediately walk away and we report it. So we also teach them how to report because this is very different than daubing or snitching or tattletaling. Again, they practice and they role play reporting. So yeah, it is, it, it, it's important for them to distinguish and really understand the difference between a friendship fire and mean on purpose. Also for their parents to recognize this too, because sometimes children are mean by accident and that's a friendship fire, right? When I think of young children, the little ones, they are still learning to balance that beautiful strength of honesty with kindness. So little kids, you know, they'll look at another kid and be like, ew, what's that birthmark on your leg? What's that? Ew, it's got hair growing out of it. Is that child being mean on purpose? No. Were they mean by accident? Yes. And that's a friendship fire. 
So really helping kids to also, kids, parents, and teachers, to also assume the best in our friends, right? This, I love, you know, Carl Rogers' research and in psychology on an unconditional positive regard. Children often don't intentionally mean to hurt their friends. Uh, the data that we've been collecting from our You Are Strong schools, from primary schools, when we ask them, you know, what percent of conflict at your school is a friendship buyer versus mean on purpose, it's coming in around 85%, they say, are friendship buyers. Normal conflicts, mean by accident, moments, versus 15% is on purpose. So yeah, it is more as children are eight to 12, where we do start to see more intentional acts of meanness, which is not okay, which is why we want the other students to respond with that quick comeback, give that immediate negative consequence. And it also sends a clear message to everybody in the school community that mean on purpose is not okay. That's not something that we foster here and that we understand that we have friendship fires. That's a part of it. We don't need to be punished for just a misunderstanding, but it's also sending that really clear message that mean on purpose is not okay. So I'd love for you to just run through those four facts of friendship. Our four friendship facts help children understand what's normal in their friendship. Because we know that when we know what to expect, we can feel prepared. We feel empowered, right? We, we can go to school every day with our backs tall and we know what's coming. So that's really the goal of those four friendship facts. So friendship fact number one, no friendship or relationship is perfect. Friendship fact number two, every friendship is different. Friendship fact number three, Trust and respect are the two most important qualities of a friendship. And friendship fact number four, friendships change and that's okay. So in our friendology curriculum in schools, we really unpack those four friendship facts with the kids so that they know them, you know, right away off the top of their heads, but, but they really understand them and can apply them. And it gives them the freedom to really enjoy their friendships, to move away from trying and fitting in all the time and to really enjoy each other. So to wrap up this incredible conversation, Dana, I'd love to invite you to finish four sentences. Are you up for that? Absolutely. I am inspired by. Children. I am inspired by kids. Honestly, Kids teach me so much. Every time I'm in a school, I'm in the classroom, I learn more from them than you can possibly imagine. And they've informed our curriculum all along the way. Kids are so smart. They just do life right. You know, they're always looking for the good. They're joyous and playful and happy. Um, and they don't take life too seriously. So yeah, kids inspire me all the time. When life feels hard, I focus on the people that matter most. You know, we've been talking this whole time about relationships. And at the end of the day, you know, when we think about what matters most, it is the people that we love, right? So I focus on Michael, my husband, Reggie, Ruby, my kids, and my friends. So when, when you kind of do that, it puts things back in perspective. An underrated skill is? 
Well, I'm obviously going to say friendship skills here, (laughs) but if I'm to dig even deeper than that, I would say the art of conversation because the depth of a friendship is determined by the depth of the conversation. So when we get good at conversation, we get good at asking questions. We get good at, you know, digging deeper with our friends and the people we love. Then our friendships get deeper and stronger too. And I am looking forward to. I'm looking forward to a future where all schools around the world prioritize friendship skills. You know, I know that these often referred to as 21st century learning skills and we know that our world has changed and I can't wait for education to catch up with the way that our world has changed so that we can really focus on social emotional learning, teaching well-being, giving kids these skills that they actually really need for when they graduate and get out into the real world. So, you know, I can't wait till every single school explicitly explicitly teaches friendship skills because I think it'll make a kinder world in the end. It'll make a kinder world and also a world that is full with more depth. And I love how you said the depth of our conversation determines the depth of our friendship. Our world has become so quick and there's so many different things happening. And to have this depth is such a gift. And so I'm so grateful for the work that you and your team are doing, Dana, because this is foundational. If our kids can feel safe in their friendships, they can learn. And as they learn, they can grow and the world will be a better place. So thank you for the work that you do. And thank you for being a guest on the School of Wellbeing podcast. Oh, thank you so much. I'm just so grateful for the work that you do as well. I think we we just, you know, we just keep getting that message out there and focusing on what matters most. So thank you so much for having me. Don't you just love Dana's passion? I wish this type of program was available at school when I was younger, because I think it would have reduced a lot of unnecessary worry and heartache. Just imagine what our school communities would be like if we were teaching the skills and language to navigate the inevitable challenges that friendship brings. If you are keen to empower your students with friendship skills for life, I highly recommend visiting the You Are Strong website. The letters you are and then wordstrong.com. There you will see a wonderful range of resources that are available for teachers, students and parents. If you love this episode, please share it with anyone you think would benefit from hearing Dana's warmth and wisdom. To learn how I can help you and your school community thrive, visit my website, openmindeducation.com. There you can book me to speak at your next professional development day or inquire about my game-changing workplace wellbeing program, Thrive by Design. You can find all the links from today's episode at openmindeducation.com forward slash episode 57. Thank you for listening to this episode of the School of Wellbeing and I look forward to sharing more heartfelt conversations with you next week.